everyone, and welcome to episode 663 of Longbot Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I am good and always, always ready to talk about comics and have some fun as we always do, Joe. I think yeah, it's we- sad on Sandman, but who knows? <laughs> we like to have fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's just talk about Sandman now. <laughs> Well, it is going to be nine tenths of the show. So, well, then let's not, um, you know, trip over our own feet here up at the front. I could have said, I really was gonna say that we need to change the show over to explicit, right? Because of some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about this week. What? What could that be? Um, but let's get into it. Um, spoilers, I guess, from a week ago. The creative teams for the new G.I. Joe and Transformer books from okay. Image are out, and they're all really, really good. Um, that's the news this week. We have conventions this week. We have what we read from this past week. Which was Night Fever uh, from Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, Green Lantern number two. Uh, we also have what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Of course, we have Sandman to discuss in Todd and Joe Have Issues. And uh, we both saw in the theaters the new DC Cinematic Universe film, The Flash, uh, starring Ezra Miller. Yes, and many other people. Many, many, many other people. Uh, so let's get into it. Um, so Void Rivals, we tiptoed around it. Um, and I'll put a preface out here. Like, if uh, there's a separate level of the Patreon. Right. My phone number or my email. Um, if you want me to tell you the stuff that's happening in the world of comics ahead of time. Because I was informed by no less than three people. Like, why didn't I give them the Iggy ahead of time about Void Rivals? Right. So that they can go and get Gem Mint 10 copies of the reintroduction of the Energon universe of Transformers and G.I. Joe back into comics under the Image umbrella. Would this uh, person's father have fixed my car at one point? Possibly. He, he, they were one of them, sure. Okay. Um, but they announced the first line of books, uh, that are coming out. So the first line of books is going to be, um, so they're not going to bombard us too, too much with stuff, right? Um, the books are rolling out, um, starting in October. Uh, the first one is going to be Transformers, uh, written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson, recently of Do a Powerbomb. Right. Um, whether I like the Transformers or not, and I like the Transformers okay, but this is a day one purchase book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Warren Johnson Daniel Warren Johnson rules. And then they're going to be doing a main G.I. Joe book. Oh, so the, the Transformers book comes out in October, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's a G.I. Joe book that comes out in November. Uh, which is going to be written by Larry Hama. 
I think he's written a few ep- issues of G.I. Joe. I think he is. And even though it's a new number one, they are picking up from the numbering of the Marvel book at 300. Like, right. it has 301 in the upper left-hand corner, but then they have a thing on the cover that says, like, it's the first issue, right? Yep. And uh, specifically, like, in the press release and the interviews and so on and so forth. Um, and they do say, well, the Marvel book at 300 did end on a cliffhanger after all. <laughs> right. Um, so I guess ignoring the last 30 plus years of other G.I. Joe comic continuity. And then there's going to be two other G.I. Joe books, at least that's announced so far. Um, I would guess that these are going to be miniseries is um, one in December about Duke and the other one in January about Cobra Commander. Right. Um, both written by Joshua Williamson. But you're getting around. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of cool. I would bet that they're miniseries is too, because I can't see uh, them running f- like four to five, you know, Energon titles together at the same time. But you never know. You yeah. Never know. I, I uh, could even see the Duke and the Cobra Commander books being one shots. Yeah. But so far, like, that's not that daunting of a lineup. Like, that's, you know, until we start getting the multiple ancillary miniseries and everything else like that. But essentially, like, one Transformers book and one G.I. or what, you know, one Transformer book main title, one G.I. Joe book main title. That's not too bad. Right. And With, um, <clears throat> I was, I when we talked about it last week, because we were dancing around it. Yeah. I yeah. think maybe in that new Transformers movie. Spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear anything about it right now, stop um, and jump ahead 30 seconds. But I guess they brought G.I. Joe into that movie. I Somehow. did not know that. I heard a rumor. Like, I can't, like, there was a scene where they threw, I don't know what it was, that they mentioned G.I. Joe. So now the movies and the, and the are going to cross over. So that's kind of, at the same time they were making this uh, stealth uh, release. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of cool. I don't have time to look that up right now, of course, and uh, I don't think I know anyone that went to go see the new Transformers movie, so I'll take your word for it. Right, right. Uh, but that's really all there was in the news this week. Um, light news week, but it's not a light convention week, mm-hmm. as we've got a bunch of conventions going on this weekend all across the uh, greater United States. Um, speaking of which, the Greater Austin Comic Con in Cedar Park. I wonder if the people in Austin know that Cedar Park is the greater version of them. Who knows? Uh, We do have comic book folks there. Dave Marquez, uh, Cully Hamner, James O'Barr, who's been getting around this year. Um, I would assume it's because maybe the 30th anniversary of the Crow movie. Right. As we discussed on uh, Previewing the Past this month. Yep, there's a big difference between the fourth last day of filming and the third last day of filming. Oh, boy. Uh, George Takei is going to be there. Oh, my. Oh, my. And in the Revenge of the Nerds opportunity, um, Curtis Armstrong, Robert Carradine, and Donald Gibb are going to be there. Isn't that one of the Bee Gees? No, you're thinking of his brother, Barry. Okay. Uh, but Donald Gibb was Ogre. Right. Frederick Aloysius Polowatsky. <laughs> Shoot trash, brother. Thanks. Right. 
Um, so we have that convention, of course. Then we have one that's a little bit more of a straightforward comic book convention, the Garden State Comic Fest in Morristown, New Jersey. Um, tons of creator folks there. Jim Ballant, uh, Riley Brown, uh, Howard Chaikin, Dan Fraga, uh, Greg Hildebrandt, Joe Jesko, uh, Scott Koblish, Tom Mandrake, Graham Nolan, uh, Louise and Walt Simonson, Lee Weeks, and like, it's, you know, it sounds like my era of comic book folks, you know? Yeah, and nobody else at this show at all. Well, on the media guest side, uh, <laughs> we have Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart. And I would have to go back and listen to all 660-some-odd previous episodes of the show. But Dwight Doc Gooden is making an appearance? Yep, yep. I hope Jimmy Hart's and Dwight Gooden's lines don't cross, Joe. Mm. Well, I, well, listen, he does, I don't know if he carries that for the Hulkster, but I don't right. think Dwight would say no to whatever <laughs> Jimmy was carrying for the Hulkster, right? Right. Uh, and then we have uh, on the at the Washington State Summer Con at Puyallup, Washington, uh, comic folks. We have Marv Wolfman, uh, Steve McNiven, Mike Grell, Larry Hama, Mark Wade, Dan DiDio, Mitch Gerards. And I've been noticing a lot more often when he's advertised uh, for convention stuff, he's just listed as Steranko. Not Jim Steranko, just Steranko. He's just right. going by his last name now, right? Right. There's a great bit in, like, I think it might have been Quesada. He was like, because he always talked about, he's like, when people talked about him, it wasn't Jim Steranko. It was just Steranko. Steranko. That's like a great one name. And I think he did use that, uh, like, one name as a, when he was a magician. I don't know if you knew he was an escape artist at one point. I, it sounds like something that I should have known. Let's say right. that. Um, but yeah, I was going to say maybe he's, I don't think it's the first name that's causing people not to return his calls. <laughs> right. Don't ask for a picture unless you're a pretty girl. Um, but media guest wise, uh, we've got Grant Gustin, the best flash, uh, ever, mm -hmm. uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, James Barrowman, Jesse the Body Ventura, uh, Britt Baker and Adam Cole. Mm -hmm. And for West Coast people that might be attending that show, I have it on good authority that they're only there on Friday now. Okay. They might have got pulled for Saturday and Sunday TV and pay-per-view. Right. And uh, Barry Bostwick is going to be there. I just kissed my thumb and held it up, Joe. Well, uh, this is as good as a chance as any to uh, mention this. Uh, so with um, Barry Bostwick being here this Sunday, Todd, right? It's a, if you want to feel old, even more old than you already do, right? Uh, this Sunday is the 41st anniversary of the release of Megaforce. Oh my God! <laughs> um, so this Sunday we will be rolling out. Um, that episode of the Patreon show where we reviewed that six never seen movies, one of Todd's favorite movies, a movie I had zero knowledge of. I didn't even know this movie existed. And uh, Todd assigned it to me. We watched it for the Patreon. So this Sunday to celebrate the 41st anniversary of this film, we're going to release it for free. Go grab it, go put it in your feed, listen to it later, download it, whatever. 
Um, I think you'll enjoy it, you know, right. uh, um, even just to find out what my thoughts on this movie were. Right, right. And directed by the great Hal Needham. Mm -hmm. um, you might know some other movies that he did. Hooper, The Villain, Smokey and the Bandit 1 and 2, Cannonball Run 1 and 2, um, Body Slam. Let's go past that one. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, Body Slam. We just mentioned that on After Dark this week. Yeah, look, it's what goes around comes around, Joe. Um... So, like I said, we'll put that out on the Patreon. We'll put some uh, for free on Sunday to celebrate the, the 41st anniversary. If you're heading to that convention, you know, I think if you go up to Barry Bostwick and tell him you're here for the 41st anniversary of Megaforce, I think that would probably brighten his day. I can't imagine it would make it worse. <laughs> um, so all the links to these conventions are in the show notes. Um, along with information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows in the soon-to-be-named network go live, you could find them there. Or anytime any of the folks from those shows go on other shows and they let me know they're on those other shows, you could find those over at soon-to-be-named-network.com as well. And those shows, of course, are this very show you're listening to right now, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, Final Wrestling Place, Add-Ons with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, uh, Wings on Wings, and of course, we have uh, you know the back catalog of shows like Hit My Music, uh, No Chance in Helmet, there's a lot of other stuff that you could find there as well. Um, you could also check out some of our friends and the stuff that they're doing in and around the internet. Uh, go check out Mike Sterling's blog at ProgressiveRuin.com. He's a West Coast retailer with 30-plus years' experience. Uh, go check out our friend Kevin at MassLibrary.com. Go check out Rick Williams, the Chop Shop, at FreeKarateChopsStoreEnvy.com for a bunch of cool uh, glow-in-the-dark resin, sci-fi fantasy figures that he does. He does stickers and pins and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter Indiegogo book. Uh, hit $8,300. You can go there and buy it a la carte. He blew past the goals that he had set for himself. Uh, I doff my John Cena cap to you. Uh, you can go check out Chris Runt's podcast, FortressOfComicNews.com. And while you're over there, you could pick up a copy of his self-published comic book, Battle Monsters. You can go check out our friend Dave uh, from the band Cave People and Rosovia. Their self-published comic, Keeper, at KeeperComic.BigCartel.com. You can go check out our friend Becky, who does a lot of sketches and commissions and prints. And she does fancy artwork on the packages that go out from our comic book shop. Go check out her social media that's linked up in the show notes as well. Speaking of our local comic book shop, I'm not going to give you the big push like I always do because we got a new thing to be pushing. We talked about it last week. The new book from Titan, Conan the Barbarian, is coming out uh, this summer. Um, Titan has offered retailers to have their own exclusive variants. Dave and the crew went above and beyond and got legendary comic book artist Mark Schultz to do an exclusive cover for the shop that's going to have the shop logo on it. And also worked in the art is the dog of the shop, Max. You... With the link that's in the show notes, you can go and pre-order your own copy of this, limited to 500 15 bucks. Mark Schultz is a legend. The writer of the book was saying that this is his favorite cover of all the variant store covers that are out there. 
These are going to go fast. Yep. This is probably the first time that you're hearing about this. I shouldn't have said anything before I get a chance to go and reserve my copy this week at the store. I may have reserved my copy before I gave you the Iggy <laughs> Joe. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so go all the links to all that stuff uh, is going to be in the show notes to this episode, uh, along with every other episode, of course. Let's get into what we read from this past week. Todd, where would you like to begin? I'm going to start with uh, Green Lantern number two, written by Jeremy Adams, art by uh, Zermonico. Uh, once again, you know, this story is taking place in the present and the past. We're getting little bits of flashbacks and stuff like that. Um, and how, you know, relating how, uh, he was, you know, drummed out of the core kind of a deal and he's been, you know, quarantined to earth, but he managed to willpower a ring from some old Manhunter armor and he's, you know, enjoying it flying around as Green Lantern and boy howdy does the art of like Green Lantern on the first like big splash page just look like the way I think Green Lantern sh should look so Zermanico is like crushing Hal Jordan's look in this and he just happens to come upon a uh, villain team that we're seeing for the second time this month. So I believe there's been a, you know, a dictate from DC to put these people in comics so we can get them in a big budget movie or TV show in a couple of months. But the demolition team, um, you know, which have all their kooky gimmick, like, you know, people, uh, bulldozer and steamroller and stuff like that. Jackhammer I, and that sort of thing. Right. Not to interrupt you. Do you think this is an editorial mandate to work these guys in? Or do you think this is people having the same idea and not checking with editorial because the Peacemaker book kind of maybe sort of exists outside of like the regular because it's like, is it not? Is it technically a Mac? Uh, a black black, it is a black label book. I almost said a Max book. That's the Marvel side. Right. And um, that's the dog at the shop. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um. Do you think it's just because, like, people aren't checking what's going on in the Black Label books versus what's going on in the mainline books? Or uh, I think – or do you I, do you really think that it's an editorial mandate of, like, let's get Peacemaker in as many things as we can. Let's get uh, Demolition Team in a as many things as we can sort of thing. Okay. So I'm going to take this question in two parts. Peacemaker, I think everybody want wanted, or it is a mandate because it had a successful TV show. Trying to get that brand out there. Why anybody would want Demolition Team in multiple DC comics as a coincidence? I don't see it. I think somebody said we need to get these people out here because this is the Marvel's Wrecking Crew done right. And I do believe that, like, something's going to be done with these. James Gunn may have an idea for the demolition team, which would be right up his alley. I don't know. And I think it's of the mind, get the brand out there. Or, or trademarks are up and it's time. So get them out in as many books as you can in case one person doesn't make their uh, deadlines. Right. That's so, that's, so that's where I was going to get into was... Um, is it a trademark thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But could be. And I would like to say, I hope our good buddy DJ is happy because he's there. Hal Jordan's finally fighting people. It's not Polaris that he keeps begging for, but it is demolition team. And it's not like space people or other color core people. So he got that finally. I hope he's happy, but 
as the book goes on, uh, we see Hal was like talking with Kilowog, who's on Earth too. Uh, also, not Earth 2, but I like that because Kilowog's always a fun character and him just sitting around drinking, what were they? It was uh, the Dew of the Mountain because they can't have beers in DC Comics, apparently. Um, nice rundown with him. And then we get to see, like, Cocky Hal progressing, starting one job in the day and, like, trading up all throughout the day to get where he needs to be to also hassle Carol Ferris, which is, he's so charming, but also kind of jerky to get there. Um, I love, like, I love this take on the Hal Jordan character. All around the main story, I'm loving this as much as I've been loving, like, Superman and Titans. Like, a lot of these Dawn of DC books. Uh, I, I think we're on the right track, as you said before, Joe. So, just getting into um, Demolition Team. Uh, they were originally Green Lantern villains in the uh, early 80s. Yep. Um, they were combined into, like, a composite cybernetic being in a miniseries called Engine Head in 2004. Right. They were separated and killed during Infinite Crisis. And then Superman Prime punched the wall, and not Superman Prime, Earth 2 Superman, and that, it changed everything, Joe. Right, but we haven't seen them since. Until two books in this month. <laughs> right, until now two books. It's a, it's a demolition team renaissance, right? Yep. Um, but I echo so much of what you're saying, you know, obviously I was iffy on this book, um, when it first came out, you and your discussion of it kind of sold me on it, uh, picked it up, really enjoyed it. Then I read Jeremy Adams story in, uh, flash 800 last week, loved that. And then obviously going in there off of that, um, went in and this book was, this issue was awesome. Um, yep. the bit how Hal beats the demolition team in in this, mm-hmm. um, when they're trying to rob some graves, um, yes. was a very fun bit, you know, and some some inspired writing and some inspired use of Hal's powers, right? Right. Um, obviously the the discussion, the back and forth with Hal and Kilowog was great. And then how Hal gets into the position where he can, and again, you say harass, um, I say overstep his bounds with Carol, where they do the thing of him essentially moving up the corporate ladder at Ferris Air in one day. Yep. yep. A great bit. It's a bunch of great bits that fit into who and what the Hal Jordan character could and should be. And, you know, we, Todd and I, as old comic book readers, lament that so many of these Silver Age people that so many people love so much, um, you know, essentially their, 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 their personality was their superpower and their job. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have gotten a lot better at giving these people a little bit more of a three-dimensional backstory and some not so much. Right. And I think Hal's one of the one that has been like over the last 30 years has really gotten fleshed out. Well, 30 years, you know, obviously, um, you know, who knows what happened to him 30 years ago um, (laughs) with the Jeff Johns rebirth and everything else like that, being that Johns kind of cares for this character so much. 
and so many other characters or so many so many other writers do they were able to build a a little bit more uh fleshed out three-dimensional backstory for him that doesn't feel forced that doesn't feel out of character that doesn't feel whatever and i really like this book a lot yep yeah yep. And then I will just touch on it, like the, the John Stewart backstory where he has no powers and there's also a John Stewart in another universe. I feel like this is temporary. Like, and they even might have mentioned it. We're getting that John Stewart book. So I, I, I feel like these stories aren't long. So I'm not it, engrossed in them knowing that I may have to buy another book to see where they go, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But it is entertaining and it looks nice. But I feel like I'm going to be either making a decision in the next two months or three months whether I want to get a John Stewart book also. It's already solicited for September. Right. We'll have to so. discuss. You'll have to help me make my decision. I was already putting my September list together. If the solicitations are out, they're starting to be cobbled together. Right. 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 And again, and then just to kind of close Green Lantern talk, the art is beautiful. Oh, my God. The coloring, too? Yes. It's almost like it's Emerald, Joe. <laughs> um, it's one of the books where today's digital coloring does so much for a book like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, now, another book that probably had digital coloring, but it looks and feels a lot different, uh, would be Night Fever, um, the original graphic novel from Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Um, I guess the elevator pitch for this would be um, there is a guy who works for a book publisher. He's going to a book convention to sell books, you know, to other outlets to be sold. And the new hot book that they're pushing, as he's reading it on the plane, he notices and realizes there's a part in the book that is a dream that he has all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like our jumping off point to the adventure uh, of our main character, Jonathan Webb, uh, in this. Now, I took copious notes on this because this is kind of like heavy and dense. Right. And I could sit here and I could give you the notes and I can go bit by bit. But, it, you know, Jonathan Webb, when he's, you know, trying to like he can't sleep because he's read the book. And he's read his dream, and is this a coincidence, and so forth. Um, he he decides to go out while he's overseas, away from his family, and he stumbles upon an underground something. There's I'd ga- call it like an eyes wide shut party. Yeah, yeah. There's gambling. There's debauchery. There's all sorts of things. Um, he kind of fakes and lies his way into this. Um, and then he comes in contact with another guy who maybe is kind of like the guy that Jonathan always wanted to be. You know, he's got all the answers. He's got all the moves. He's, you know, kind of maybe he's a secret agent. Maybe he's a double agent. Maybe he's a something. And now Jonathan's mixed up with this guy and this guy Rainier. And then they start kind of delving a little bit deeper into this, as Todd mentioned, this eyes wide shut sort of thing. Then maybe there's aliens involved, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like where things fall apart a little bit for me. Um, I would say of the recent, and there's a bunch of them, of the recent Brubaker, Phillips, 
uh, collaborations, this is probably my least favorite. Uh, you know what? I say the same with you with me though the only one that i kind of it's on the same bar with me it was it was uh was it fatal which was the one that was kind of like the cthulhu-esque uh one that one kind of lost me too um this one i thought was all right i like the idea of the writer like you know when he gets in in with this guy he ends up leading the life he always kind of wanted to live and then he's He's weighing the two lives, the lives he had, the normal loving life that he thought that was boring. Now seems all the better when he's neck deep in all this craziness. I kind of like that, but I kind of feel it kind of lost the plot along the way. And that's, you know, I don't want to complain about Ed Brubaker, but I expect like criminal-esque, you know, fade out all this. So yeah, I didn't think this was terrible, but it's not my favorite. It's probably tied for my least favorite Ed Brubaker story. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely good. Mm-hmm. But I think I, where you're coming from is where I, I kind of fell into this was there's a lot of really good ideas that happen in this. Mm-hmm. And they either get wrapped up very quickly, conveniently, or are kind of brought up and left as dangling things. Whereas with Reckless, we were kind of told that this was going to be a series. Criminal, we kind of knew there was going to be a thread throughout things. And even Fatal, which you had mentioned was probably your least favorite, and that's where they get a little bit more supernaturally stuff in there. And I think Brubaker's strong points is the less supernatural, mystical, sci-fi stuff, and more the action adventure espionage noir uh, noir stuff right right and and it's okay when the stuff mixes but i'm i'm throwing it out there there's a bit where they're at one of the parties okay and they just randomly throw that aliens are involved in the plot okay mm-hmm. and then when webb is talking to rainier rainier's like yeah you know the aliens are here they tell us that the world's gonna end here eventually um so like really who cares why we do the things that we do and then i don't know about you todd but if i went to a party and there was shoot aliens there that would consume the rest of my life right now i just want to say because i know we're trying to you know not give every point of the story but there was a bit before that happens Mm -hmm. and I think uh, Rainier's trying to mess with the main character and he tells him, don't drink that. They put stuff in it and then they do. I think that's all because later on when he talks to him, he's like the aliens. He's like, what are you talking about? Aliens. I think it was just him on a psychedelic trip, which I think doesn't fit in the story that there's a chance that there's aliens, but it's explained away. And I'm like, I don't know that this should have never been in it as far as I was concerned. And then this one obviously feels a little bit more self-contained. Mm-hmm. Whereas with stuff like a criminal or like reckless or like Fatal, and like I said, I you know, and like Fatal was twenty-five issues or whatever it was. Right. Whereas those, if something came up in issue one, I had enough trust with Brubaker that like we'll get this mentioned again before this is over. Right. Because I got, you know, however many issues coming out. Or the Fade Out, which was a 12-issue miniseries. And I could sit here and name them all off. And, like, oh, I'm naming off Ed Brubaker books, right? right. But, like, even, like, Reckless, we knew that was going to be, like, a four or five graphic novel thing. So if something comes up in the first one and doesn't get paid off, I had faith in the writer and the artist that we're going to get a payoff eventually. And we did. We got payoffs to everything. Everything wrapped up. Mm-hmm. 
exactly as it was supposed to in Reckless. Like, in this, we're probably not going to revisit this, I would guess. But I could be wrong, and then I'll come back and I'll eat my John Cena hat and say, hey, we got Night Fever 2. The stuff that was left dangling is now picked up here in the next graphic novel that's not going to be coming out probably until March of 2024. Right. I'm going to say I'm with you that we're not seeing – this is a one and done because even like in the afterword, he was like, I wrote this story because we needed a break from Reckless. And Sean Phillips was tired of drawing – los angeles in the 80s from mem- like from my notes and stuff and he just wanted to draw something that he knew and he knew london and france like he knows europe so this is set in paris or france or whatever so he was drawing stuff that he knew i think this was more of a hey let's just cleanse our palate do something different you know recoup our energies and do this i honestly don't see a night i don't see a night fever too in our future gotcha but that's just my opinion, and who knows? I'll share that John Cena hat for dinner if it happens. All right, good. So that's what we read from this past week. Uh, let's get into what we're most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, every Tuesday at noon, we put up the poll post, which is the link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, uh, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am currently in the lead over Todd with five correct guesses. <gasps> That's too far. I'm going to look at your list and say the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Saga 65. It is not Saga 65. Oh, my goodness. What is it? It's Incredible Hulk number one. That would have been my second guess. I should have known a new number one, but that's on yep. me. Yep. Um, looking over your list, is the book Saga 65? It is, of course. Right. Uh, you know, there, there's some heavy hitters here. Um, you know, enjoying Nightwing, enjoying Superman. Enjoying uh, Titans. Enjoying Titans. Enjoyed the first issue of Avengers and we're getting the the you know the next two issues of those there this week um but you know Saga is Saga and it takes a lot to beat Saga now um is this the last Saga for a while um I am going to say we have one more right I always get confused I think six because they you know um if I'm doing my gazintas here and again I do have my shoes off still yep (laughs) um that they usually do six issue arcs and then take a break. Okay. And if I know my Gazintas six goes easier into sixty six than it does into sixty five. That goes eleven times, I heard. Right, eleven times. Whereas you have a remainder if you do sixty five, right? Right. Um, and then last time I think it was they took um well let's not talk about the time where they took four years off. Right. But last time when they came back, they took five months off in between arcs. So let's see what happens with this one. Um, mm-hmm. With 66, um, you know, it, it, it did fall a little behind schedule, which is okay. You know, no big deal. Um, but there is nothing solicited for September. So at the very least, you know, they're going to have like a month break. Right. Maybe just a month, but 
probably going to be closer to three to six. We shall see. We shall see. Uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I are, are up to, uh, whether it be uh, past episodes of this show, past episodes of After Dark, uh, or our current ongoing story bit segment. Uh, Todd and Joe have issues where we are doing a full reread of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Yes, we're doing the 75 issues, but we're also doing all the mini-series. We're all doing all the maxi-series. We're doing all the one-shots. We're doing all the short stories, which we'll get into when we're done here. Um, but we are uh, getting ready to wrap up Brief Lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the part of the show where I kind of lean back, let Todd take the wheel, and I chime in with a, yeah, every now and then. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, starting with Sandman 47, uh, Neil Gaiman and Jill Thompson and Vince Locke on art. Um, Barnabas and Destruction are at his villa and he's cooking. And I like Barnabas is like, I've never really seen you cook before. He's like, I have it. And he's like, I hope it's, you know, one of your ideas kind of like that uh, thing in the yard in the garden. He's like, thing, that's a sculpture. And I may have gotten ahead of myself last week. I was uh, on this scene where he's like, oh, well, you go do it and see how well you do. I have more marble. So once again, he's doing creative things, cooking, doing, uh, you know, sculpting and stuff like that. And Barnabas is like, hey, by the way, that uh, pool that you have is bubbling even harder than before. He's like, I bet it is. But uh, in the end, uh, he kind of distracts the dog with chocolate and throws it to him. And Neil Gaiman has said in, in interviews and uh, at like cons and stuff, yes, I know chocolate is bad for dogs, but Destruction didn't know. And if Barnabas did know, he wasn't going to tell Destruction. <laughs> so that's why he got to, to, to have some chocolate. Um, we get caught up with Sandman and Delirium. And she's like, uh, let's go somewhere because we're nowhere. And she doesn't like being anywhere. But her envelope is all used up because people are gone or or, or, or dead. Um, so what are we going to do? And she's like, uh, well, I know somebody we can ask. We'll take it as a family matter. We'll go see uh, our elder brother. So he's like, all right, Destiny, we'll go see him. Um, we need a labyrinth to do this. And I like that Delirium's like, can I find it? And I like, like, Sandman's uh, relationship with her is, is getting a lot better because he's like, sure, why don't, if that's what you want to do and get, find the labyrinth that we need, go right ahead. And she closes her mismatched eyes, I'm doing air quotes, um, and she ends up finding a, the labyrinth and she says, is this okay? And Sandman's a this is perfectly satisfactory, my sister. One of the greatest, you know, attaboy Sandman has ever given in this comic. Yeah. Um, just so, like, so straightforward, but it's kind, something Sandman wouldn't have done before. And I do love how Delirium is drawn throughout this part, at the very least. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously looking very small, much slighter than uh, Morpheus himself, much shorter but like almost like a good two full head sizes mm -hmm. um, that she's wearing the tattered fishnet outfit and the giant oversized coat. Yep. That uh, just looks so good on her. Yeah. Like really lends to the manicness of the character, which we're going to be exploring a bit more throughout these next two issues here. Yep. So they end up uh, maneuvering the maze and Sam ends 
says all mazes, you know, lead to the same center and stuff like stuff like that. They're connected. And as they go, the, the labyrinth changes and the people disappear, come and go. It's wood, it's stone, it's hedgerow until finally all roads lead to the center of the maze and the center of the maze is destiny's realm, if you will. And, uh, dream feels uncomfortable but they say it's not unusual for the endless to feel weird in the uh, in their siblings realms the only one who does it is uh death and she goes wherever she must unimpeded so that's really cool um along the way delirium's like hey look over there it's me in the past as delight and i was very pretty in sandman and yes you were and she ends up saying i remember that day there was people from a far world bringing gems. They were grateful for something. And Salmon's maybe it was happiness kind of a deal. And she's something, something that could be it. Um, and they end up finally running into uh, destiny and destiny says, you know, you have arrived a matter of factly, cause it's in his book. Um, and they ask for some advice and he's certainly um, give me advice and the, the advice, he doesn't even wait till ask the question. He's like, all right, you want advice? Forget this. Go home. This is ill-advised. It can only end badly. And he's, I can't do that. You know. And Destiny knows because Destiny knows all. And he says, I'm sorry. Um, and he's like, can you tell me where he is? And he's like, uh, I can't. He's, uh, I'm Destiny, but I do what must happen. If I could live your life for you, I would. But that is not within my power. Um, he's, is there anything you could tell me? And he basically unloads on him, but not in a de- destiny doesn't unload. It's just going to hurt what he said. Right. And but before he does, he says, it's nothing you would want to hear. Mm-hmm. But and Sandman doesn't yeah, interrupt. But Sandman doesn't interrupt. And he says, she does not love you. And she never did. She will not change her mind no matter how long, nor how deeply you wish this were the case. You will see her but one more time long after this is over. And the outcome of that meeting will not be satisfactory for the either of you. And he's, I did not wish to be told that. He said, you asked me to tell you what you needed to know, not what you wish to hear. Um, Ugh. yeah. And, uh, he says, so there's no, you, we, you don't know where my brother can be found. You can't tell me. He goes, the only thing I'll tell you is what everybody else tells you. You need an oracle. He's like, there are no oracles who can see our family. And he says, when you were talking to Bass, the cat goddess, you thought of one. And there's a flash in Sandman's eye. And then he just, I would say if Sandman could go pale, he went pale, Joe. But that's impo- this impossible. And he's like, he's no. And Destiny's, that's the right attitude. And Delirium comes over and says, what happened here? Destiny's like, go away. There's not to do, nothing to do with you right now. And now Delirium's turn to step into Destiny. And he's, do you remember why I stopped being Delight? Well, I do. And there are things that you don't know that are in your book. Um, you would do well to remember that. And Destiny's like, ooh, you seem collected. It's refreshing. He's, he's stick it coins have two sides destruction told us that when he was leaving um kind of a deal we'll get to that in a little bit and she goes over to dream and she says what did he tell you and he's like it's you isn't it he's like yes it's still me and her eyes are the same color and she says if you're gonna fall apart then one of us has to stay strong please get up and lead us i don't know how long i can hold this 
it hurts very muchly. And she's like, I'm glad I can do this when I have to. And Sandman kind of, you know, gets himself um, composed. And he's like, all right, we're going to go. She's wearing, he's like, to see an oracle. And now, just just real quick, even further still, as Delirium is doing all of this and speaking, her word balloons are still colored. Mm-hmm. But her, the text of what she's saying isn't as jarbled. It's right. not different sizes. It's not wavy. There's actual punctuation in there, which is not something that typically happens with Delirium's um, text balloons, right? Yep. Now, another thing I just need to throw out here with this here as well, um, you know, obviously, as we're discussing, they, you know, we've talked before and there was the part before um, where, um, you know, it's like Delirium closes her mismatched eyes, right? Mm -hmm. And there's the bit in here where Morpheus is like, your eyes are the same color. And she says, so I could do that. I could do that if I have to. In the digital version... Her eyes are the same color. In the trade that I have, they are not. Right. So that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Now, I will also say there's, in the digital version, there's also some um, misprints in some of the word balloons in the next issue, which we'll get to when we get to. Right. And the last thing I'll say about Delirium's word balloons uh, when she's coherent is that, yes, they still have color in them and the white center, but they're only one color when she's coherent. If you go when she's crazy, they're multiple colors with the white center. So I do uh, enjoy that, that it's kind of uh, showing in multiple ways that she's in control of herself for a brief bit. Um, So uh, Destiny stands and he's flipping through his book after they have left And it goes back 300 years when destruction left them. And it was the last time they were all together. Um, And we see how each of them react to destruction, say he's going to leave. And, you know, the one that's kind of weirdest of all is uh, Delirium. Uh, She ends up just being silent, looking sour. That's a great look on her face by Jill Thompson, which is not something you often see Delirium look like. She's usually euphoric regardless of what's going on. So it starts flipping all over the place. We see Sandman after a great battle with the Ruby when he was coming back and he got trapped in issue one. It says that it was after a, you know, tired uh, battle. So that's why he was able to be captured. We see death a century ago on her one day a century where she could become human. Maybe we'll read a story like that soon or something more like it. Then he turns the pages and uh, it says uh, one way than another. And then there's a picture and it says there's blood on the throne of the drinking. The Corinthian stands behind it, trembling, red, wet tears dribbling from his mouth. The dream king looks up slowly and speaks to him. He is dressed entirely in white. Joe, I have goosebumps. I'm not going to say what it is, but... Because I don't want to spoil anything, but even as first time reading this, reading Destiny say Sandman is all dressed in white is disconcerting, Joe, from everything I know. This is bizarre. So, ugh. Um, so uh, we see, he sees now where Dream and Delirium are going to go. 
Uh, she's like, uh, we're here. And one of the people guarding Orpheus, Orpheus uh, pops out and says, how are you here? We walked. He's like, there's no now, paths up I, here. So I do just have to interrupt here just as a moment ago. And this is where I have to chime in. Um, so in the panel where Delirium is kind of a little bit more her old self. Now, she has changed a bit since mm-hmm. we saw her before. Her hair is longer. Uh, she is wearing white, you know, maybe a nod to whatever Destiny saw in the book with the Dream King, as I will say, wearing all white. Uh, mm-hmm. Where she says, have you ever spent days and days and days making up flavors of ice cream and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. In the digital version... There's a bunch of A's that are missing from that wor- those word balloons right? that are not missing from the print edition. So when okay. I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, well, maybe this is like a stylistic choice that like something, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm like, nope, just a misprint Yep, that they okay. didn't fix in the digital. Gotcha. Oh, DC's editing on collections. Um, so before that, she says, where are we? He's like, we're here to see somebody He's like. Uh, somebody I said I would never see because I gave my word I would not. And I like, she says, who did you give your word to? Myself. Um, uh, so the guy with the guns calling up his family says, don't, you know, don't make a, a no false moves. And she's like, what's a false move? Is it very different from a real one? I just love the way delirium uh, looks at things. Then the old man comes up and he ends up, uh, Sam and saying, I'm here to see my son. Um, I believe he is here. And the way they all understand that it, he's bona fide this guy's father is because they can all hear him in different languages in their head. So, okay. And the guy is like, this is the most fortuitous day. Uh, the, the Lord told me it would be unusual. He did not say how unusual it was. Um, Sandman says, I have to do this alone, my sister. And she says, I know. I'm sorry. When delirium can understand how bad it is, you need to worry, Joe. You know? Yes. So she ends up uh, finding cherries in a tree and visiting Lady uh, Constantine's grave. Um, Sandman comes out and says, I did it. Um, he talked to me. Did he tell you? Yep, I know where my brother is. Did it cost you anything? It cost me a great deal. But no, not directly, not right now. But I owe my son a boon in return. You're shivering. That gave me goosebumps because Sandman doesn't shiver. And he's like... I find that difficult to believe, my sister. I'm perfectly in fine spirits. And after all, the penultimate step of our quest has been concluded. And nobody else, she says, got killed or exploded or anything. And it's Sandman just no-sells it and says, as you say. Um, she's like, is it a long way? He's like, no, not too far. They get in a boat. They cross to another villa on a, on a rock or on a peninsula kind of a deal. And... Barnabas runs out and just destruction greets them, picks delirium up, says you've grown, looks at, takes one look at Sandman. I love the writing. He's like, and you, my brother, you also seem different. Perhaps you too have grown. And he's like, it's not likely. No, stranger things have happened. I think he, he could see it, Joe. He's like, you've traveled a long way. I've made you food. Uh, You were expecting us. He's like, I'm afraid so. We have much discuss. Please take a seat. I've made dinner. To be continued, Joe. So I want to go back a page. Um, you know, obviously we have the panel where they arrive at the island. Delirium uh, interacts with Barnabas. We have the next panel where Destruction is there, bathed in like purple and red, mm-hmm. l- looking down on the two. 
and obviously it's the way the 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 pay you know obviously he's up on the hill looking down at them and uh destruction says well come up here then you two where i can see you properly and in that panel dream is drawn small mm-hmm. and frail and yep. weak and i don't think that's an accident no it's not yes <sighs> joe my heart hurts well we only got one more issue this week to go todd let's move over to issue 48 yes do you have an hour or so <laughs> We have all the internet in the world for you to take up, Todd. Yep. So he sits them down to dinner. He starts serving them. Uh, He says it's here to be eaten. And he starts with, so I expect you're all wondering why I called you here this evening. Simmons, you called us here. No, it's a joke. I just thought it would uh, make, uh, you know, things funny or lighten the mood. Of course, you know, it doesn't really because, you know, the family. Uh, He ends up saying, you know, I made all this and explains he had the garden and Barnabas is always like ribbing him. Uh, Yeah, except for, you know, the chives. And that was because you dug up the garden. He's like, ah, and you said you'd stop that. And Sandman, you know, still just because it's a family deal. He says this is family business. I prefer if he wasn't here. Um, he's like, no, what about you, Delirium? Do you want Barnabas gone? She's like, who's Barnabas? He's like, the dog. She's trying to figure out uh, if that was the dog she met at last issue and everything. And the dog's like, oh, boy. You know, you you fall off a certain, you know, family, a limb of the family tree. Um, the Sandman kind of relents. He's like, all right, he could stay as long as he never speaks this to what we say to neither man nor animal nor any other kind of creature. Um, he's okay. Uh, now, you came here, like, why are you here seeking me? And then Delirium, in, like, uh, mind vomit, just proceeds to give us the whole brief live story um, uh, in the next, like, page and a half in her own way, but it's all 100% true. Um, and I love when she gets to the part where she's like, and Sandman was mad at me. I was mad at Sandman because he, he wanted to stop. And then he came back and he said something nice to me. And then we went to the nowhere and we talked to like our brother and she said something to, to, to you know, dream. And he went all spoogy and I had to put me, uh, and she has her eyes, the same colors again. She's, I had to be, I had to be, she had to be coherent. And she goes, it hurt. And it, that looks like it genuinely pain sandman whether or not it's because of why she had to be uh strong because of what just destiny told him or he's sad that uh, she was hurt you're not 100 sure it could be all of that uh i do love it but she says that was me um and he says we've been looking for you for some time he's like well it's been 300 years how's the so- family I do need to interject here, of course, and this is, you know, the thing that I always point out here is Delirium's look through this, okay? Mm-hmm. And over the course of two pages, she gives us the recap of what we've seen in the previous seven issues, right? Mm-hmm. But as she does so, each panel, her look is different. And each panel, when her look is different, it matches that point in the story. Yep, which is genius. 
which is like that's the way she's telling the story. The hair goes from the full red to the part on one side to the part on other side to a much more raised manic look to a more lower manic look to the braid that she had. And then the part that I mentioned where she like has no hair and then the hair is starting to come back. And then as the story ends, she's back to how she was. And again, fantastic, phenomenal, brilliant storytelling. Yep. So uh, Destruction asks, you know, it's been 300 years. How the fa- how's the family? He's like, they've changed little. Destiny is unchanged. Our older sister as well. Desire is, well, desire is desire, which is a great answer. Um, I've seen them all recently. And when I last saw Despair, she stated she missed you. And Destruction says, poor Despair. I remember when f- first she assumed the mantle of Despair, when the first Despair when she became Desire's twin. And Delirium's like, I didn't think it was easy. And Sandman says, it was not easy for any of us. It was the only time the Endless, one of the Endless had been destroyed that another aspect of us had to be resumed, uh, the position we all had adjust to. So this is, I don't know if we saw, if they mentioned it before at this point, but they're saying that uh, Desire isn't the first. She was killed, destroyed somehow. And so uh, Desire took her place, um, leading to be that, you know, endless can change kind of a deal. Be different people. Yep. Um, and specifically stating um, that a another aspect of one of us had resumed the position. We all had much to adjust to. Mm-hmm. And Destruction says, that's why I eventually chose the course of action that I would. Because if I had, you know, left it, another version of me would have just been dumped into the same... Um, uh, you know, mess all over again. Sam, and once again, about responsibilities, like you abandon your responsibilities. So you told me 300 years ago. Um, and they're, they're kind of arguing. And he's like, I made my decision. Uh, I can, I can live with it. And he's like, if you, none of you are going to eat, was there anything else you're here? Brains, a heart, a ride in a balloon. Um, and I do like that. The delirium's like, do you really have a balloon? He's like, no, it was a figure of speech. It was a joke. Um, so she kind of wants the family all back together again. Delirium's like, I would just like us all back together. He's like, I see. And why did you come looking for me? Dream. Um, and he's like, I came because I wished, uh, our sister did it. And I had other reasons because he was stalking his girlfriend. Um, <laughs> later became a matter of honor because someone named Ruby who died because she looked for you. She knew nothing of our quest. It was it, it was not just that she died. Um, and I, and destruction once again, from the beginning where he's, he's like, there's something about you that you've grown. He's like 300 years ago, you would have said that she was simply immortal and, uh, and would have died later. Had she not died then I doubt that I have changed that much brother and destruction's like, whatever you say, brother, he's, he knows, he knows. Um, and he says, I, I'm glad that I had hoped vaguely that you had changed that you'd notice that there were other people in the world, that you had begun to see people as other than things that dream as creatures of story. Um, I never needed you to instruct me on my duties. He's kind of like things I know. Um, but I don't do any of that anymore. My responsibilities are done. He's like, what have your realm? Hey, destruction still happens. He says, but it no longer has anything to do with me. It's their own destruction. It's not my responsibility. It's uh, not my fault. 
Delirium asks where he's been all this time. He basically says, as we've just, he's like, I was digging the Panama Canal, doing all constructive things. Um, and Samus says, you knew you were coming? Yep, my scrying pool let me know. It was bubbling, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there was, uh, I left it to so people, so I would know. And he's like, these function, they killed a bunch of people. He's like, I'm afraid so, but there was nothing I could do about it without becoming destruction again and destroying the pool kind of a deal. And I was not ready to do that. Um, some of them who died, they were your friends. He's one of them was my lover, but you didn't know about her end, did you? He didn't because he had left and did not see it. So he's basically saying, you know, I, you know, I know what I, what I wrought and it killed someone I was, I was very much in love with. So he goes, well, how did you find me then? He's like, well, I spoke to my son and this is kind of where they, they have it out. He's, he's like, I liked your son. Um, but he's like, he was a romantic fool. The last time I saw him, he, he, I knew the misfortune was going to happen. He's like, but you sent him to see our sister and set him down this path to be destroyed. He's like, it's what he's wanted. He was a child. He's like, um, uh, you, you shouldn't have done it. And, uh, I get a little mixed up here. He's like, uh, how could you leave? And he basically gives them the one-sided coin thing, that there's two sides to everything. Destuck destruction didn't cease when I left. Uh, it's the same way. If you abandon yours, people will not stop dreaming. Um, I took my sigil with me so it would not be passed on. Um, you know, we are what we are. When we came into this, we do our thing and then we leave. Nothing's going to change kind of a deal. Um and then he's like, let's go out uh, out to the garden. It's a warm night after all. And this is back when I said there were three uh, little soliloquies that stuck with me. Um, the whole time I read this, this is one of them where he walks out. And Destruction, who's obviously tired from his life and all the things that he's done, he says, uh, beautiful. And it looks painted, this two-page spread. I like the stars. It's the illusion of permanence, I think. I mean, they're always flaring up and caving in and going out. But from here, I can pretend. I can pretend that things last. I can pretend that lives last longer than moments. Gods come and gods go. Mortals flicker, flash, and fade. Worlds don't last. And stars and galaxies are transient. Fleeting things that twinkle like the fireflies and vanish into the cold and dust. But I can pretend. That is one of the most beautiful things that I have ever read. And when I would push this book on people, I would quote that. I can't do it anymore from memory as one of my favorite quotes. And I got many a person to read it. Just uh, quoting that. Um, just uh, an amazing piece. That's some deep stuff. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So I'm a little verklempt because I love this book so much. Um and he once again asked kind of, why did you leave? And she's like, didn't you get the one, the coin thing? And he ends up saying, well, there was this time it stuck with me when I was with our older sister, Death. She basically says we could know everything in the world. We can know everything that destiny does. And we do. But we just tell ourselves what we don't to make it all more bearable. Um, and... Sam is like, that doesn't make any sense. And Delirium's like, it is. It's the not knowing that makes everything seem uh, okay sometimes. And I do like that. And so 
Sam is, I, I like sorry. the bit where they're having that con- where they're flashing back to the conversation and we see destruction and death speaking. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously endless the endless are gonna look different ways and different time eras and different periods and different so forth. But I like how destruction almost looks like a superhero. Yes. You know, um with the outfit and the cape and the headband and the whole thing, you know? Yep. Yeah, I really like that. And Death looks like she's going on an 80s jog. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Sandman asks him, uh, will you resume your role once more? And he's like, no. And she's uh, delirious. I thought you would. Sorry, Lassie. Um, I filled up my, my quota, you know, adequately for over a billion years. A two-sided coin. Destruction is needed. Nothing new can exist without destroying the old. Um, uh, things are created, they last for a little while, and then they're gone. Empires, cities, poems, people, atoms, and worlds. Uh, one cannot begin a new dream without abandoning the last. A eh, brother? Our sister defines life just as despair defines hope, or desire defines hatred, or as destiny defines freedom. And Sandman says, and what do I define by this little theory of yours? He's perhaps reality. Um, and uh, Julian's like, I could never leave my realm. It's got all my things in it, which is the way uh, I kind of look at my house. Like, I don't yes. want to leave it because it has all my things in it. Um, and just des- des- destruction admits he's life was comfortable here and unchanging, but you've undone that. I should have seen it coming, but at least we had this time. Um, my sister, you, I enjoyed seeing you. You were always my favorite. I trust when your next change crumbs, it proves easy on you. And her going, change? Like, I don't know if she can handle another one, Joe. And I don't know what it will be, but this that piqued my curious um, uh, curiosity. Sorry. And Destruction says, where are you going to go? And he goes, I have to go to business. I have unfinished business with my son. He's, you left that unfinished a thousand years ago. He said, well, up. Oh, I guess I'm going to get on the road. Uh, I'm going to take my sigil and a couple of things. All of this will disappear uh, when I leave. But like I said, I have to take my my sigil so it won't be handed on to the next destruction who will take my place. Um, and Delirium said, I thought you would stay. Once again, you could make me happy. And I like the way she says, maybe you could stay in my realm. You can live there with me. You can make me laugh and I'll do you little dances and, and, and you won't, will you? And he's like, nope, nope. But you give me an idea. He says, Barnabas, uh, my, aunt, my friend, answer if you wish, because he, he was not allowed to talk. Will you go with Lady Delirium, walk beside her, tread the path she treads and protect her, lead her and guide her? Liam says, I can't look after a doggy. You misheard him. I have to look after you, which is 100% true. Uh, he says, why can't I go with you? You won't survive where I go. Um, I'm leaving. Uh, he says, I've made my decision. I'm not passing it on. If you see Ishtar again, give her my love. Oh, must I? Yes. Oh, that's cold, Joe. Nah, you ain't kidding. He asks for uh, like a handkerchief. Um, he says, black. Ugh. You have anything with the, he turns it into uh, a handkerchief with polka dots. And he turns it into his hobo bindle that he's never going to take his eyes off of Joe. 
Except when he's punching. (laughs) Yeah. He ends up walking into the stars when he asks where you're going. He goes up out there somewhere. Um, uh, So Delirium says he's really gone. He left 300 years ago. She's, what do we do now? So just real quick before you finish. So, you know, obviously he he shakes Morpheus's hand. And of course, you know, obviously Morpheus is always, you know, he's our lead character. He's our, you know, protagonist. But I love these parts here where he is drawn next to destruction to give how big of a deal destruction is, how much of a presence mm-hmm. uh, he is, you know? Yep. Um, and how small and slight dream Morpheus looks in comparison to him. Uh, Delirium gets a hug. And then obviously the bit where goes back to destruction talking about the stars and that two page spread that was painted. And then he essentially fades off into the stars mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a two third panel that is kind of like his profile as he goes up. And that page, this here, is when I think of destruction, this page is what I think of. Right, where back to me, the two-page spread of him talking about the stars is the destruction that will always be my definitive destruction. Yes. But but a character who's only been in, what, a couple of panels up to this point, and uh, a few just speaking uh, moments in this run has had such an effect on the reader or me at least in such a short time. Such a like you said, a powerful, powerful character. The just the way he's written and the way you say drawn, just overbearing, like bigger than life compared to everybody. Such such genius by the artist and the writers. Um. But finally it ends and Delirium says, uh, I don't know. Uh, so what now? I don't know uh, what we're going to do. He goes, I need to return to the temple. Why? And Sandman says, I have to kill my son. Oh, baby. Joe, wasn't uh, there something about desire trying to get him to spill family blood at one point? I don't think this is going to end well, Joe. Right, and he is bound, Morpheus is bound by what has happened. Mm-hmm. And this is the path that he has been set upon. And by spilling family blood, only bad can come from this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the pieces have all been set, and whether um, desire has been behind this the whole time or not, you know, you go back to the second trade, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you go back to um, uh, Doll's house, right? Or um, Yeah, it's Doll's house. Yeah, you go back to Doll's house as things kind of got wrapped up there where, you know, Morpheus has to... De- Desire has been pulling the strings behind all of this. Even when they say they are not pulling the strings behind everything, they mm-hmm. are absolutely pulling the strings behind everything. Yeah. Um. Obviously, with this knowledge and reading everything so closely together, you know, we could see their fingerprints on everything. Um. I will say this, okay, yeah. and I and I'm gonna say not so I don't ruin stuff where the book goes. But obviously, if you're reading this, there's 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 foreshadowing, there's foreboding. 
we're in the we're about to hit 50 after next issue and we're in the the two-thirds of the book we're into the third chapter which you know ends the book and he said that he he had an out up to this point he was he had all kinds of ways to not get to 75 if he wanted to he could veer off but when sandman somewhere in between when sandman came back to delirium and said hey let's go look for destruction for real to the point where he she talks they talk to destiny and destiny says you know, I know, like, stop this. I know what you're going to do. And they talk. He goes, that's it. That's when I locked this book in that I knew there was only going to be 25 more issues because this sets us on the end game, if you will. But he was like, there was a part of me that wanted to go on and go go around this. Be like, we can come, we can loop around back to this. But no, this is, he goes, now fixed point in time, there's no change in things for the outcome. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to say what the outcome, but you get my meaning. I get your meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have 25 issues left, give or take 27 of the main story. We do have a couple detours, which we are going to be coming up upon this, because we are reading everything more or less chronologically as things come out. So mm-hmm. next week, we have issue 49, which is the last chapter of Brief Lives. Oh. And then we have two short stories, two eight-page stories um one is called fear of falling which if you go back to the fables and reflections trade if you were reading it that way you could find it there if you're reading the giant omnibus whatever collections you could find it in the second one Mm -hmm. um if you by chance have the single issues of vertigo preview number one it's in there right um we're also going to be talking about death talks about life uh which was another eight pager um, which was printed in a bunch of single issues of Sandman books, specifically issue 46 of Sandman. Um, it's also in every collection or trade or any way that the death storylines have been collected, whether you have the first trade, which is um, high, high cost, cost. living, mm-hmm. or the hardcover that collects all of the death appearances, it'll be in there as well. To right, read and the absolute thing too. So. Right, and it's in the absolute as well. Uh, yep. So there's a variety of ways to read these two short stories, and we don't really have to worry about these short stories again for another couple weeks. Right. Oof. Did I mention that I really like Sandman and it's really good? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, so thanks uh, for bearing with us on that one. Again, there's a lot of heavy stuff in these issues, of course. Um, Go check out our store link there. We can get shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. You can email me. I'll quote your price. Everything's priced to move. Get it out of my house. Um, don't make that's where take- all your things are, Joe. Yes. Don't take. Don't make me take them to a flea market. Um, you can go to our T Public store. The thirty five percent off sale is going on as we speak. Uh, where you can get designs inspired by this show, by After Dark, the soon-to-be-named network logo, uh, on anything and everything from cell phone covers to notebooks. You can go sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash longboxheroes, where it's little as a dollar a month. You get the two bonus shows from Todd and myself, one previewing the past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog, 
And then our movie show, our comic book oddities, where this month we're going to be looking at the Brigitte Nielsen film Red Sonia. Uh, $5 a month is going to get you those, those two bonus shows two weeks before everyone else. And it's also going to get you After Dark two days before everyone else. So you can listen to the shows in the correct listening order. Any level of Patreon that you're at, you're going to get the full scans of the previews catalogs that we talk about on Previewing the Past. Uh, July uh, 94 should be here any day now. Right. Um, For me to give to you to fill in that hole in the collection that we have. Mm -hmm. Oh, yep. And I have (laughs) a bunch of on flash drive for you, so. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so like I said, sign up for our Patreon. This is the best way to support us. Uh, you could also make any and all of your eBay bids and purchases and buy it nows and makes offers through our affiliate link. This page contains affiliate links for eBay. We receive a small commission on purchases you make. Uh, you may use this affiliate link at any time you want to buy anything on eBay and support us at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't. Um, so we're at the end of the show, but we're going to talk about The Flash. Yep. The movie The Flash. Not the TV show. Right, and it's going to be spoiler-filled. So mm-hmm. if you haven't gotten a chance to see The Flash and or you don't want to be spoiled, we bid you adieu. Thank you for listening. This was episode 663 of Longbox Heroes. And we'll take like a two-seconder to get into discussion of The Flash. So we had talked a few weeks ago. There was that big, long thread that was on uh, Twitter about the troubled production of how we got to this point. Uh, The Flash, directed by Andy Musasetti, a variety of writers... Starring Ezra Miller as the titular Flash, Barry Allen, what have you. Times two. Times two. Um, Now, I will also say this at this point. um, You know, if you have been doing what you can about avoiding spoilers on this, Mm -hmm. don't even go to the IMDb page. Right. Because three people down... They give you spoilers. Yep. I, I stayed away. I only had one ruined for me. Did? And, okay. All right. So we're talking spoilers. If you're yeah. not gone by now, you're gone by now, right? Right. I was just saying, but go ahead. So the only one I had ruined on me was Christopher Reeve. The only one I had a Reeve ruined on me, but it was George Reeves. Okay. And it was that, you know, that weird DC Twitter that you showed me, like yes. it'll take weird panels and stuff like that. He was just tweeting spoiler uh, free. I almost cursed on the main show stuff out there on main. And I was, and it was, and it was the day, it was the anniversary of the death of George Reeves or something, some stupid thing. And they were, they were like, why, why, why put the movie out on this day? It's disrespectful to George Reeves, him in it and everything. And this doesn't make any sense. It's not disrespectful any way, shape or form. But how about a spoiler or a hashtag or something I can ignore? I don't know. That had me hot. But. So it wasn't that account, but it was other people on the same day. Mm-hmm. that they didn't come right out and say, like, oh, my God, Christopher Reeve is in The Flash. But they said, like, hey, remember when Christopher Reeve was on Smallville and how tasteful that was? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, if you're talking about a tasteful 
uh, thing for Christopher Reeve. I'm guessing there was a not tasteful one. Oh, no. Right? Right. So, what is this movie about? Okay. Um, two annoying flashes? Okay. So, the biggest problem with this movie is everything. But the real biggest problem with this movie is the fact that our lead character is unlikable and unrelatable, Mm -hmm. which wouldn't be a problem if we did not already have a multimedia version of this same character that was likable and relatable. And then to throw this on top of it, so you have an unlikable and unrelatable character. Let's bring another one in who's the same character, who's even more unrelatable and even more unlikable. So I I get what the movie was trying to do. Um, You know, obviously there's the scene, I I will say this, a a good chunk of the action scenes um, on paper are interesting. Yep. Um, the scene at the beginning where uh, a bunch of people broke into the Gotham City Hospital and they stole stole a rare disease. And it's mm-hmm. up to Batman to go chase them down and Flash is on damage control. I do like that he's I've reserved myself to being the Justice League janitor, which yeah. is a good explanation because he always cleans up their messes. Right. And there's the bit where the wing is falling down. It's the maternity ward. And we get a good bit with the way that he uses his speed. Um, But obviously, you get the subversion of there's the constant thing of him with the watch. Where he has the thing that tells us that he needs to eat, okay? Yeah. And then before he saves all these falling babies from a building... He, you know, essentially ransacks a vending machine that came out of the same room, along with the bedpan and a vat of hydrochloric acid. Okay, sure, why not? So he he eats all the food, he lines everything up with his super speed, so that he could, like, line up the gurney and stop the momentum of the babies and catch all the babies, even the one that he put in the microwave, which I saw the gif of that. <laughs> and I thought it was somebody who had reversed a gif of like, oh, wouldn't it be funny of the Flash saving a baby from a microwave? Right. That we reverse the gif and it's him putting the baby in the microwave. It's like, no, he puts a baby in a microwave in this movie. Um, after he just heated up a burrito in it, again, maybe not the smartest thing. So on paper, this is a great action sequence. This is to establish the planning and the thought and what needs to go into the Flash doing what he could do and that he needs to have that constant, like, charged up battery to constantly be eating. Yep. But we get no real payoff with that other than when Teenage Flash gets the Flash powers and let's say Barry Prime, we'll call him, because he's not really older, he's like late 20s, mm-hmm. where Barry Prime tries to tell him that he needs to eat, and then he doesn't listen, and then, of course, he passes out. And that's really the only payoff for that. And the right. fact that that was such a big deal in the first chunk of the movie, I figured we would get a bigger payoff to that, and we don't. And then we get to, like, the... We- first biggest problem of the movie which is how terrible the special effects are in this movie uh, okay we'll get to the cgi in one second i just want to touch on the the baby scene in the building 
Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I like I said, I do like to see the Flash doing things, running up yeah. buildings. But here's the problem I have with that scene, not CGI related. I've seen it done, and I've seen it done better twice with Quicksilver in the X-Men movies. With the time in the bottle scene, yeah. and sweet dreams are made of these from the, uh, from, uh, the Eurythmics in the, in the next one, where Quicksilver's running around and pushing stuff out of the way. The time in a bottle one is one of the best super-powered scenes ever. So like when they try to emulate it, it does not work for me. Um, even though it was cute and they tried to do it, it didn't, the, the humor didn't bother me, but I'm like, I, it, basically seen this, seen it done better. If you have nothing new, don't do it. Um, and that's the, the, the big problem, but go ahead. You were saying about the CGI. Yes. Um, all the babies looked gross and I yep. wanted them all to die because the special effects on them were so bad. Yeah. Um, the, the dog special- was terrible. The dog was terrible. The special effects throughout the entirety of this film are bad all the time. Now, I I did a little bit more digging than I typically do in a movie like this, and I saw that the director was going for a stylized choice with making things look the way that they did. Mm -hmm. Their decision to make everything in the movie look bad was a bad decision. Yes, it was. Okay. On the CGI, all around, for the most part, hated the CGI. Now, I will say this about Bart Prime and uh, Barry uh, Prime, Barry Prime, and the the younger version, which I'm going to call Millennium Barry. Um, Millennium Barry reminded me, and I I always said main Barry reminded me of Bart, aka Impulse. I was saying this, uh, yes, until I met new Barry. And he is so impulsed, it's ridiculous, because he never listens to the end of a sentence. He goes and does. And I'm like, if you wanted Bart impulse, why not just have him? Don't do the whole thing. But it was meant to do this whole overarching thing that works kind of, of a redemption arc. And everybody sees how things are different. I don't know. It This whole movie works and doesn't work at the same time for me. I don't so- I feel as though this movie lands on the doesn't work more than it lands on the does work. As an example, the humor that they try to put in this movie, to a point, not a single joke landed for me. Not a single quip, not a single fun pun, not a single uh, sight gag, visual gag, except... For the one at the end where they're going to save who they think is Superman, but it's really Superwoman, and um, Barry Prime is un- is not superpowered, and Batman is going to zip line him up. Uh, Michael Keaton Bat- Batman is going to zip line him up, mm-hmm. and when he does, Barry like tries to wrap his legs around him. Yep, that was the only joke in the entire movie that worked for me. Right, and I will say. I was watching the movie with, with my friend Scott and we're watching it. And the first time they used the, the, the line and he grabs him, I was like, Oh, he didn't say how much do you weigh? They saved then, that for another scene. Exactly. I was like, okay, you, you swerved me, but then you used it anyway. And that was my one problem with Batman. I like nostalgia when it works. I love to- Michael Keaton as Batman, but they hit all the bits. You want to get nuts. Let's get nuts. And all those, and I'm like, they're not, they're not landing for me. You know no. what I mean? Um, but I do like seeing Michael Keaton again. Right. I like seeing Michael Keaton. Okay, so 
Um, okay, so the plot of this movie essentially is, um, it is going to be yet another court date for Barry's father, who they don't tell us that they, that Barry's father, uh, is in jail because they think he killed his mother. Are we supposed to know that from one of the other Zack Snyder movies? Yes. Okay. And so that's a, that's a problem. In the first Justice League movie, he they they show that they talk about that that he became oh. a forensic scientist to to you know what I mean the whole right right and then we're introduced to his forensic science boss and his forensic science friends who are just as annoying and unlikable as he is mm-hmm. and we see them all in one scene and then we never see them again until we see them in the new Earth and it's like Barry Prime is like oh well they're still together that's nice and then that's it. We, nope. Like things happen because they have to happen. So anyway, Barry's father is going for another court date, goes through Wayne Imp- Enterprise to get like heightened uh, footage. footage, yeah. Right. To, the, to be able to uh, absolve the father from what he had done or what he's been accused of doing. Um, but he never take like he's wearing a hat, so he never looks up so they can't get anything. Right. Um, so on this whim, at this point, with no impotence, no anything else ever. Barry just says like, hey, Batman, what if I could travel back in time and stop this from happening? And Batman says, no, don't do it. It will cause huge, horrible problems. Um, So Barry just goes and does it, right? Right. I would like to talk about that because Bat Affleck, first of all, his mask looked really weird in the daytime. He looked like Catman instead of Batman. Yes. Um, but when he, when they have the talk and he, he says, well, I could go back and save my parents. He's like, you shouldn't do that, Barry. And he goes, what if I could go back and save your parents? And he goes, Hmm, it was my, he is. And he takes, he takes a beat, which I like. And then he says, no, that, you know, my, my wounds are what make me, me. And then Ben Affleck gets up and, st- and walks towards his car and he stops for a hot second. He kind of looks back like. Maybe I should ask him to do it. And then he goes. And I'm like, these are the little scenes that worked for me. And it's it's one of them. But then Barry, of course, never listens. But he didn't listen in Flashpoint either. And goes and does it. Right. And and again, as a Flash nerd, I don't like that he could just one day decide to run fast enough that he can go back in time. Uh, excuse me, you need a cosmic treadmill to do these sort of things? Yeah, if I have the action figure that shows that. so All right. So he goes and does it. And uh, so, of course, he attempts to save his mom. And then the special effect of him being in, like, the time bubble and seeing time changing, right? Right, right. All those special effects look real bad. Um, What? And then Doomsday Flash kicks him out of the bubble? Okay, then we get Doomsday Flash. The minute I see Doomsday Flash show up, I'm like, okay, that's Barry. Like, it was just, like, so obvious. It was so whatever. And what ends up happening is he stops him on the date of, I guess, what would be like where Barry Prime gets his powers. He goes to the house. He sees his mom again. Um, he's very happy to see his mom. The parents are like, oh, you look so much older now. College must be whatever. Well, it turns out that he's there when Barry, young Barry is young Barry. He doesn't get the powers, but he sees today's the day. He doesn't work at the forensics lab. 
He breaks him into the forensics lab. Special effect that worked was them phasing their molecules through the door. I did like that. And I, like I will that. say, at this point, I'm no prude. You, you know that, Joe. Right. There was an egregious amount of S words in this movie. It, um, it, it picks up here. Up to this point, we have an egregious amount of S words. And listen, it's a PG-13 movie. I understand that you're going to have swears in these movies. But maybe not have the hero, the, the guy, the baby face, the guy who's on all the toys saying them all the time. And not the same one over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it it wasn't that he said it. It was that he said the same one seven, eight times in like five minutes. Yeah. So they go to the forensics thing. Um, Barry Prime sets young Barry up for the incident where he's going to get the powers. When the lightning comes through, the lightning goes through Barry Prime, which, again, with the transitive properties of comic book superpowers, it gives young Barry the powers, but it takes the powers away from Barry Prime. Right. So, I will say, you know how the gag you said where he puts his leg up with Batman? Yeah. The gag where now recently unsuperpowered Barry Prime tries to run in that ridiculous way that he runs, but he's doing it in regular speed. That made me laugh because it looks so ridiculous. Hmm. Okay. So now they're stuck. Barry needs Barry Prime needs to figure out a way to get his powers back, but also he tries to reassemble the Justice League. But the Justice League don't exist in this world because they never needed to exist in this world. But because of what Barry did, Zod. You remember Zod from that movie that everyone loves, Man of Steel, shows up. Yep. Um. So now he's really under the gun. We need to find Superman. We need to find Wonder Woman. We need to find Cyborg. We need to find Aquaman. None of these people exist in this timeline. I'm Batman. really shocked the actor who played Cyborg didn't show up in this movie. Oh, yeah. So Batman exists. Barry, young Barry is like, yeah, I remember Batman, but he hasn't been around in a while. We find out that Batman hasn't been around in a while because everything is okay in Gotham. And Bruce Wayne is living alone in a dilapidated Wayne Manor as a hermit. Yep. Okay, why not? Sure. Again, another bad CGI special effects fight um, where it's, you know, it's it's there to get us to show Barry, young Barry is learning how to use his powers. This is Michael Keaton with a bad wig and beard on. Good, weird, a good uh, beard and wig, man. No. Right. Um, Make spaghetti, so, though. Okay. And this is the part where they have the discussion. And, and I, I really wanted to come in here and just say, um, Flash is about how spaghetti is about time travel. Right. And this is where they throw time travel on its head and say, instead of what we've seen before with the divergent points and you create a new timeline every time, it's essentially all these timelines exist at all these times. They're like a cooked bowl of spaghetti where... They cross over, they intersect, they don't intersect, they're wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, some people would say. Right, right? it's not like the uh, legendary Eric Stoltz Back to the Future movies. Right, again, another thing that doesn't have a payoff, unless you count the payoff of the guy has the tattoo of Eric Stoltz on his inner thigh, and that's the payoff? Mm-hmm. Like, you could add a payoff of when Barry fixes time, spoilers everyone, and comes back to our regular time... 
the first thing that he checks is his cover. Like, or even if they just show that he had a Back to the Future poster on his wall. And the Back to the Future poster on his wall is Michael J. Fox. Yep. You could have been as subtle as that. You could have been as direct as him going to pull out his copy of the DVD of it, his Blu-ray of it, and right, it's Michael right. J. Fox. But it's just like, hey, it would be funny to bring this up, right? Yeah, because he was originally in Back to the Future. Now, I'll say this for later in the movie. What percentage of people, and I'm not saying people who go to see comic book movies, people who go to the movies, people who read comic books, sci-fi people, fantasy people, etc. People. What percentage of people do you think know that story? Which story? That Eric Stoltz was originally cast as as Marty McFly, and then they changed right, the gotcha, casting gotcha. after they filmed for a couple days. I, gotcha. I got confused for a second. Um, I would say, I don't know, because I know it. I feel like everybody knows it. Okay. Do you know what I, I mean? I know I it. Know? So I know it, and that one I'm like, oh, well, that's one that everyone knows. And then mm-hmm. I sit here and I think to myself and like, does an 18 year old coming to see this movie know that? Does a 25 year old coming to see this movie know that? Does but, a 30 year old coming to see this movie know that? Right. But right. But do most of them know Michael J. Fox was? See, that's all you need to know. Then you say another actor, and just it it works because 90 percent of the world knows Michael J. Fox was in Back to the Future. Okay. And it, it, but it works on another level if you know the Eric Stoltz story. Okay, so let okay, perfect. Let's say ninety percent of the people that would go see the Flash movie know even that Michael J. Fox is the star of of a movie called Back in the Future. Right. So that we have something to come back to. Okay. <laughs> um. So they convince Batman to come out of retirement. Michael Keaton, Batman, to come out of retirement. Um, they try to find where Clark Kent was, Clark, they only call him Clark, they never call him Clark Kent in this, they just call him Clark, which is interesting. I think he says Clark Kent at one point. I'm almost certain that he just says Clark, not Clark Kent a bunch of times, but I could be wrong. Okay. Um, so they find out that he didn't, because, and Barry is looking, Barry Prime is looking like in the Midwest, Kansas, somewhere in there, but it turns out that it landed in... Russia. So they go to Russia. They break him out. It's not Superman. It's Supergirl, Superwoman, what have you. And again, that's a bit that they stole whole cloth from the Flashpoint comic book, right? They gender swapped it, whatever, okay? Mm -hmm. So they break her out. Um, She flies away. She sees Zod doing all these things. Um, She is convinced to fight on the side of our two Flashes. And Batman to try to bring down Zod and his people. Um, Barry Jr. makes a Flash suit out of an old Bat suit. Right. Which I think they thought was way funnier than it actually was. Right. Um, Didn't work, didn't land, didn't whatever. Um, They go and they battle Zod and his minions. Both Michael Keaton, Batman, and Supergirl get killed during this. And we find out that Superman was actually found by Zod first. Yeah. And he killed him. But I honestly thought Cavill uh, was going to show up as the giant Kryptonian in the suit somehow. But, like, they were going to knock his mask off and it turned out to be him. But I actually thought he was going to show up as, like, a mind-controlled uh, warrior for Zod. But he That would have been interesting. 
Yes. Um, so Barry also gets his powers back because Batman flies a kite. Yes, Ben Franklin bat kite. Right. Well, I will say, okay, I want to touch on one or two things that like actually worked for me. The bit where they go get Supergirl and they're like, it's not him, let's go. And and Bart Prime go, or Barry Prime goes, no, nobody gets left behind. Hero today, hero always, we're taking her. I got you. I got your back. And then when she shows up, she sees the world go and what happened, you know, Zod's here. She goes and she ends up carrying him into the storm after he's electrocuted himself a couple of times. He's like, let's go again. I need to do this. I'm like a hero persevering. I'm not saying it's done the best in the world, Joe, but actually there were moments where it was like, okay, this is the hero stuff I want for my DC movie. Not like Ben Affleck again at the beginning of this movie, just plowing through cops and caring about no lives as he chases somebody down. So there were bits that gave me hope in this movie. Right. And I'm with you where Barry prime, they go there, they see it's not Superman. They see it's Supergirl. And he says, no, we have to save her. We have to, we have to take her. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And that would have been enough. But then we get the bit where she goes and kills a bunch of people in a horrible special effects fight scene, flies away, sees what Zod is doing, comes back, and then reiterates that point just in case we were too stupid to realize Mm -hmm. that Barry has this good in him where she just says, like, when you saw I wasn't the person you were looking for, why did you save me? And he says, because we have to save everyone because we're the good guys. And she goes, you're right. You are the good guys. I'll help you. Right. Like, it could have just been more subtle. No, I get you. I'm just, like I said, I'm taking little bits that I liked when I when we get to them. So, uh, Supergirl dies. Michael Keaton dies. Barry has his power. Him and young Barry are working together. I get what they were trying to do there. But again, I don't care for these characters. They're both annoying um, I know Barry Prime is a little bit of a superhero. Um, he's got good in him, but he's still an annoying, unlikable character. They decide, like, well, wait a minute. Um, you know, Bruce died, be- or uh, Michael Keaton died because of this, because he went after this with the shields. We could just turn back time and tell him not to do that, and he'll live. And this is where they find out that there are fixed points that they can't change. Right. And they keep going over it. And each time uh, uh, Newberry keeps acquiring new shrapnel and that's how he becomes Doomsday Flash. Now there's three flashes. I will say I was shocked there was no reverse flash in this at all. I I feel as though them not doing reverse flash was a conscious effort to to make people not think of the TV show. Yes, because we never even really find out that who killed Barry's mother. It was just, you know, kind of a deal, which I think would be in a sequel if they were going to do it. But either way, I I have a a feeling there's not going to be a sequel. No, I get you. I get you. Um, So then it's at this point where they 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 realize that there's certain things that they can't fix. Mm-hmm. So now Barry, because what how Barry fixed things was a Barry Prime. He went back in time and he put a can of spaghetti sauce, an extra can of spaghetti sauce, in the shopping cart, right? Right, because she forgot it and he had to go get it. The father. because the mom forgot it and the dad had to go get it, and that's when the person came in and killed them, right? So now he went back in time, put the extra thing in there, 
So now he has to go back, back in time and take it out. Okay. Mm -hmm. So before all of this happens, we get to see the multiverse, all the stuff crashing in upon itself. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get every cameo ever. Right. You want George Reeves, Superman, you got him. You want Helen Slater, Christopher Reeves, Superman, you got him. That shocked Huh? The Helen Slater one shocked me. Right. Well, that's the one that's two down on IMDb, by the way. Right, right. Uh, You want Adam West, Batman, you got him. Okay. And these are a lot of these are just glimpses, quick hits, right? Yep. And there was a, a golden age flash that the guy who played fake Jay on the Flash TV show. Remember the one that was pretending to be Jay Garrick, but was really Zoom? Yes. He had the helmet and everything. Everybody was calling him up and saying, Congratulations, being in the Flash movie. And he was like, I wasn't in the Flash movie. And the director came out and said, everybody thinks it's that guy, Teddy something from the Flash TV. She goes, you know, we just shot a rando in a Golden Age Flash costume that we made to say that there was one out there. So I was even got by that. I thought it was him from the TV show. Right. And we get all these quick hitters, right? Mm -hmm. But then we get one that wasn't spoiled on me. Okay. Me too. And it blew my socks off. Okay. So I'll say this, Todd. You say 90% of the people uh, know that Michael J. Fox plays Marty McFly in a movie called Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. What percentage of people know that there was a treatment that only had screen tests done of a Superman movie starring Nicolas Cage's Superman where he fights a giant mechanical spider? 110%. Okay. I will say that because I know it, I think everybody knows it, we'll go back to that, but the fact that that it's a legendary Kevin Smith story with the giant spider and then Wild Wild West, you know, I, I don't know. that That's in my brain forever, so any comic book fan knows that. Okay, and I like that scene, right? It was a scene for me, mm-hmm. but because they spent so much scene on this, th- so much time on this, If you don't know that story, which is an old story to begin with, but it's part of our shared popular culture knowledge. Mm -hmm. If you're 18 going to see that, if you're 25, you're 30, like it's Nicolas Cage, I guess. It kind of looks like him because the CGI is really bad, Right. right? But it's just weird that they spent so much time on that scene for a joke that I think such a small fraction of their audience would get. Right. But here's the thing. I don't care who doesn't get it. It's my movie enjoyment. So, okay. Maybe. But I, 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 you have to think about that. If you're making a movie that you want to make hundreds, if not billions of dollars, you right. need to put things in there that aren't going to be confusing and weird. Even if they're just throwaway Easter eggs. When the rest of your movie is a confusing, weird mess that doesn't land for the most part, and then you throw extra stuff in there that's weird and confusing and may or may not land. I get that they were trying to wrap up everything that's like. This movie was supposed to wrap up the Snyderverse. Mm -hmm. But I think it was also supposed to like in their mind, it was supposed to wrap up like every DC movie that's 
come before it to give Jimmy Pistol a clean slate to work with. But we still have Blue Beetle. Where does Blue Beetle fit into everything? Right. We know in the trailer he says Batman's a fascist, so it's one of the Batman. Right. But uh, I will say this about the plan. Okay. So the whole thing is they have the, the, the new updated clean footage but the father never looks up and Barry realizes he has to give up his mother to save the timeline. And he does, but he does a, a workaround where he's like, okay, I took the, the tomato paste out of the cart and I put it back on the shelf. That gets me the mother going, you know, dying. Cause the father comes to get the can. But if I move the cans to the top shelf, he'll have to look up and see it. And that doesn't affect anything till today because he's in court today. He still has to go to jail for all those years, but I can get him out today. I like the whole, it it only affects the present. And once again, it's another mistake by Barry because we find out that little nudge changes everything because wibbly wobbly timey wimey. I don't know. To me, that worked. I like the workaround of putting it on the top shelf. I get what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. But by this point, Barry should have learned his lesson. Right. And because of that, we get a redemption arc for an actor who played a superhero years and years ago. Joe. Now, again, we're talking about. So we have the footage because the can is on the top shelf. The dad looks up. So now we see that he has the alibi so the dad can get out of jail. OK, mm-hmm. now, granted, the dad's been in jail for. 15 years, 10 years. Yep. yep. And we just say, sorry. But it's better that, but we understood that we couldn't fix it because we destroy the universe. It's mm. justice late is better than no justice at all. So, so I like this movie a little bit better than you did. I think ahead. you did. I, I didn't. I, and again, I, I didn't like this at all. Um, so we get the bit at the end. Barry walks out of the courthouse. Iris comes over and gives him. Uh, says that you should call me to go on a date. I don't know if she has a number or not. Um, sure, I guess. Why not? Um, gets a call from Bruce Wayne. Hang on, I'm almost there. Bruce's car pulls up. People crowd around because they know it's Bruce Wayne. And it's already been established in the movie that Bruce Wayne is played by Ben Affleck. The movie and ends. Michael Keaton. My, and Michael Keaton, but at least in this in our prime timeline, it's 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 Ben Affleck. Uh the car shows up. Barry sees someone get out of the car, says the big swear, and then we see that it's George Clooney. Yep. Which I actually really like that. Okay. Gives him a, a nod, you know? So but I want to say, when he called on the phone, I think they garbled the voice so we couldn't hear who it was. Yeah. It was a because very I was intentional like, thing with the bad connection. Yeah. Right. Because I was like, there's no way it's Ben Affleck. But I was literally thinking it was going to be Christian Bale. Uh-huh. Bye. So he gets out of the car, comes over, acts like nothing's wrong. Barry realizes, like, oh, I mess things up still. And, you know, here we go again, sort of thing, right? Now all bets are off. Anything could happen, Joe. Okay. So, in my digging, in my research, when they did the test and press screenings for this movie two months ago, mm-hmm. there is no George Clooney cameo in the movie. Right. The there movie was ends. alternate endings that they used. Right. Yeah. yeah, so the movie ends where the last thing 
the the flash our hero says is the f word right then that was the end of the movie and that was what critics saw that's what test screening saw that's what the premiere people saw this mm-hmm. is something that was just added right before they put the movie out for general consumption and again i don't know what works better because i feel as though this movie overall didn't work right and we get a post credit sequence with aquaman so now it does because my whole world opens up to questions. So that means Momoa is still Aquaman? Maybe, because we have an Aquaman movie coming out in December. Yep, you see what I'm saying? So I so a know. movie that was supposed to wrap up all the loose ends of the Snyderverse? Only raised more questions. Right. Okay, now, since we have all that, I want to touch on one thing. This movie was really, really good because it had a Jack White raconteur song in it, um, which I know you don't care about. But now I know ACDC was over in the Marvel Universe and Jack White's in the DC Universe corner. So I need a couple of my favorite musicians to break the tie in all this. All I want to say was I popped for the raconteur song. Don't care. That's just me. Um, This movie tried, but it's mostly bad. I thought there was a good movie in here, but I guess it's just because I'm a Flash fan. Mm-hmm. It was a good, it was a good movie with un, uh, a terrible CGI. That's what took me out of a lot of it, um, and the main characters. But there was something every ten minutes that I did like, so it kind of balanced the scales. I can think of like five things in a two and a half hour movie that I could convince myself that I liked. Okay, and I will say that the movie was definitely at least an hour or two long. Yeah. Um, I would maybe, like, I'm sure people have gifted all the cameos, and we've talked about the cameos. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, you could really skip this movie. It's not worth your time, unless you're, like, uh, a Snyderverse completist, and you have I- to see how they wrap up 70%-ish of everything. And then the Snyder fans aren't going to like it because it wasn't Snyder doing it. Right. There's no winning with this movie. Right. But it was made, and, you know, we talked about all the personal stuff that happened with Ezra Miller, and they could have recast things, they could have reshot things, they could have scrapped the movie, they could have shelved the movie. But this movie is, you know, on track to be a a huge, not just a money loser, a huge money loser. But that's only because Zack Snyder didn't do it. Sure. I'm just, I don't know. Or that it's not a good movie. I have no opinions on this anymore. I'm just, I'm looking forward to the, let's burn off the last couple of movies under the old regime. Because obviously Aquaman was under it. Blue Beetle, whatever, so much. But let's just get to the to the ones Jimmy Pistol has announced and see how things go. You know, because we're in a weird transition phase right now. It, it, again, it is doing better internationally, but right. not much better internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on who or what you believe, um, this movie has anywhere from a two hundred to a three hundred million dollar budget. Right. Um, you know, I've read both in different places. Like nothing is confirmed one way or the other. So let's split the difference and say two fifty. Um, it will probably break even. 
Right. But that's it. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I try not to like when it comes to budgets. I don't trust anybody anymore. But yeah. So right, and that's the thing. It's just because you had Black Adam as a financial failure. You had Shazam Two as a financial failure. Um, Shazam Two was fun for what it was, but it was a movie that was sitting on the shelf for almost a year and a half, and mm-hmm. they had to film some post credit stuff to try to fit it into the Jimmy Pistol stuff. And then this movie we were told was supposed to correct everything and fix things going forward with the new Jimmy Pistol movies. And it doesn't. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what to say anymore. Well, listen, we could have a difference of opinion. You know, you like the movie a little bit more than I did. And I give this a very strong recommendation to not waste your time. Right. Basically, I don't say run out and see this movie. Run. Right. No pun intended. I say this is this is if you want to see this and you have HBO Max, wait, you know? Yeah, it'll probably be on HBO Max in like two months. Exactly. Don't run out and spend your money unless... I was a diehard Flash fan. I, I went just because I would have went even if we didn't have this podcast, even if knowing you as long as I did and we weren't doing this podcast and you came to me and you said, Todd, this movie is very, very bad. Do not go and see it. I'm like, it's a Flash movie. I'm going. So that's the only thing that I could say if you really want to see it that way. But otherwise, wait until it's on basic cable or max. Yeah, definitely don't see this in the theaters. Mm-hmm. That's all. And that's it. I think it was a long show because we had a long movie that we had a lot of opinions on, you know? Yes, yes. That's all. Uh, So, hey, thanks, everyone, for hanging in there, bearing with us, uh, getting Flash spoiled on you. This was episode 663 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.